Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard him heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he was in the wilderness in the day until the days of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of God. Jesus, we just thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. We thank you for just all that's been orchestrated through history unto this moment. Lord, we thank you that you're here to speak to us. We thank you for the word you've planted in Brian's heart, or just may we hear your voice, open our ears, and open our eyes. We thank you, God. Amen. Well, if y'all could welcome Brian Turney, a man of peace, giving a message of peace. Thank you, Vernon. Um, whoever decided that we should do the baptisms before I get up here and do this thing, not cool. So pardon me if the next 10 to 15 minutes are an incoherent mess. Um, Thank you guys for being here. Uh, it's a joy to be with you uh, today. It was a joy to hear Graydon's story as well. What a, what a gift it is to just be together uh, during the Advent season and to celebrate uh, the good things that God has done. Um, I can't even type in my, my passcode right now. I'm just like, okay, pull it together. Um, all right. Um, so uh, as Vernon said, today we are centering in on Peace. It's one of the four themes of the Advent season. Uh, last week, Ellie did a beautiful job of kicking off uh, the Advent season, talking about hope. And today, we come to peace. Um, I actually covered peace up here last year. Uh, if you were around, you might remember um, that I actually got laid off from my job the week before uh, I gave this sermon. 
Um, it really tested the whole like practice what you preach thing. Um, I'm happy to report that uh, I ended up getting another job um, and I did not get laid off this week. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Thank you. Um, I did, however, <laughs> this week uh, have to undergo my first root canal. And, yeah, right? And my parents and my in-laws are in town at the same time right now. So clearly the Lord continues to try and teach me about peace. Uh, It hasn't sunk in yet, but um, maybe one of these years I'll figure it out. Um, But I want to jump in, um, and I want to talk about Christmas songs. I'm a fan. You know, you've got this wide range of all kinds of different songs, um, and there are levels to this, right, where there are these classics, these bops that you can play over and over and over again. And then there are some that should never be played again. I'm looking at you, little drummer boy. Uh, but my, thank you. My, my Christmas song ranking typically um, is pretty static from year to year. I have my go-tos. Um, but every, every now and then, one of the classics kind of surprises you, catches you off guard, or you hear it in a new way. And that happened for me this year with the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It's a good song. Um, but until this Advent season, I hadn't fully realized um, just how beautiful its lyrics seem um, to capture the tension of the concept of peace at Christmas in a complicated and broken world. I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day um, is a hymn based on a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Uh, the poem's called Christmas Bells, and it was written in 1863. <laughs> And uh, just 1863, smack dab in the middle of the American Civil War. Uh, Longfellow's wife had died a couple years earlier. His, uh, his son had snuck off to join the war without um, talking to his dad first and, and became severely wounded uh, just a month or two before Christmas in 1863. And so Longfellow found himself on a Christmas morning walking through his town, hearing the clanging of the church bells as war raged on and his fellow countrymen were killing one another. And he, and he expressed kind of what he was feeling in this poem. And I'll just share just a few stanzas here. It starts, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So it starts off really positively. The narrator reflecting on the clanging of the bells, on Christmas, but as the poem progresses, it begins to take a turn as he laments how the thundering cannons of war are drowning out the carols, how it's like an earthquake has torn the country in two and sorrow has descended on families everywhere. He, he kind of hits bottom in the second to last stanza. It says, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thankfully, it doesn't end there. As he comes back around, he wraps the poem up with one last hope-filled declaration. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. And it's a song I've probably heard a dozen times or so over the years, but until a week or so ago, I had no idea about the depth and beauty of of what was being communicated. And I wanted to share that because I think what Longfellow does and what the hymn does 
is it, it just nails how it feels to approach the topic of peace at Christmas time. I mean, I, th- I think we, we want to just kind of simply focus on the warm and the fuzzy, the nostalgia, the lovely and nice aspects of the Christmas story. But it also feels disingenuous. Whether it's the state of the world, the state of our city, conflict with people around us, the chaos of, of just life, the inner turmoil that we wrestle with in our hearts and in our minds. Unpeace feels more like the reality than peace. And a couple of weeks of holiday cheer in December every year is not nearly enough to cover up all of that. And so that's where we're at. On one extreme, uh, we slap a smile on our face. We disconnect our faith from reality. We ignore the bad and the ugliness of the world. And we muscle through Merry Christmas. On the other extreme, overwhelmed by the harshness of life, we let go of hope. We're overcome by despair. We seek answers for all this brokenness elsewhere because obviously something is just not working. And so there exists this tension between one extreme and the other. Two sides that seemingly don't make sense together, and yet the path forward is through the middle. There is a mess and a mystery where, where the light and the darkness bump together. This is the world that we exist in, and yet the really good news of Advent that we celebrate is that God, meet, God meets us right there, in the middle, in the mess, in the mystery. And it's as true today as it was in 1863 when Longfellow wrote his poem. It's as true today as it was nearly 2,000 years ago when God was born a baby in a manger to a newlywed virgin mother who with her husband and child had to quickly flee as refugees from a crazed king willing to kill every child he came across in order to preserve his power. That's the world that Jesus entered into, just as crazy and unpeaceful as it feels today. But God doesn't shy away from that. He enters into it, and he brings his peace with him. Jesus is God with us, and he's with us in the midst of all of it. He was with us then, and he is with us now. So let's return to Zechariah's prophecy that that Vernon read for us in Luke chapter 1. Some quick context about the passage that we read. Um, Zechariah was a priest. He was married to a woman named Elizabeth. Um, And Zechariah was in the temple one day. And much like Mary was visited by an angel, Zechariah was visited by an angel to let him know that he and his wife Elizabeth would conceive uh, a baby boy and that he would be called John, who would go before the coming Messiah to prepare God's people's hearts for what was to come. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth were a bit older. Um, They had tried for uh, children for a long time with no success And so as Zechariah received this news, he was uh, a bit skeptical. And uh, as a result, the angel made Zechariah, and and kind of as a a sign of the promise, um, he made Zechariah unable to speak until the prophecy of the birth of John was fulfilled. What God promised comes true. Elizabeth conceives, and here at the end of Luke 1, we see that their baby son is born. 
Zechariah is able to speak again all of a sudden, and rather than take the time like I would to complain about how inconvenient the last nine months were, um, he launches into this beautiful song of praise and prophecy, pointing to the Savior who is to soon come. If we look back in Luke 1, verse 68, we see the words of Zechariah, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Remember, it had been several hundred years of relative silence from God, but he has shown up again in a big way, and this plan for redemption of all people is underway. We continue, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hates us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Starting with God's covenant with Abraham, moving down the line to King David, and so on, God's plan is unfolding, just as the Old Testament prophets for thousands of years had said it would. God's desire was to bless the entirety of the world, all people, through Abraham's offspring, and Zechariah is declaring that this is how he's now doing it. We jump down to verse 76. And you, child, speaking of John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Zechariah provides a glimpse of what this will look like, that his son John will prepare the way for a Savior who is tender and merciful who comes not to dominate and to destroy, but to be amongst his people, to bring healing and restoration. And finally, in verses 78 and 79, he concludes with, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And finally, we see that God's light, Jesus, will come down. He will shine into the darkness, and he will be the one who leads us to true peace. And I love the image that Zechariah uses here, of the sunrise breaking into the dark. Everything is scarier at night. doesn't matter where it is. It's disorienting. Your imagination begins playing tricks on you. You hear things that aren't really there. Um, I feel like one of my official dad duties is as the, uh, the light-turner offer of our household, um, the rest of my family seems to not understand that switches work both on and off. Um, and so uh, inevitably at the end of the evening, as I'm trying to go to bed, lights are left on somewhere in the house, um, and someone has to be brave enough to turn them off before they go to bed. Um, and that is usually me. Um, and, I, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, and it's, you know, when you... when. When it's dark and it's night and the house is lit, it's nice and warm and familiar. And as soon as that light goes off, it's like everything feels like it changes. The, the familiar feels unfamiliar suddenly. And then the next day when the sun comes up and the light comes back on, that scary unfamiliar spot is once again the space you know. The fears, the confusion, the disorientation, the gigantic grizzly bear monster hiding behind the couch, all of it kind of dissipates as soon as the lights come back on. And I love the idea that the birth of Christ is our sunrise. 
After a long dark night, what's more peaceful than a sunrise? He is the light by which everything begins to make sense again. We can orient our lives, our understanding of the world through the reality that God has come to be near to us. That while the chaos and strife, the pain and confusion may not feel any better or make any more sense, the light reveals a path through it. It minimizes the power those things have over us, shows us that there is more to our lives than what we can scratch out and claw out of it ourselves. It reminds us that we're not left alone in the dark. We are not forgotten. The light has come to be with us and to show us the path to true peace. Dallas Willard uh, helps us define peace in this way. He says, peace is the rest of will that results from assurance about how things will turn out. I am at peace about it, we say, and this means I am no longer striving inwardly or outwardly to save some outcome dear to me or to avoid the one that I reject. The sunlight breaking over the horizon gives us a clear picture of how things will turn out. At Christmas, we are reminded that God has delivered on his promises, and so we can trust that he will deliver on his future ones too. That no matter how dark things get today, in the end, as it says in the poem, the wrong shall fail, the right prevail. That everything sad will come untrue, and peace will be what remains in the end in the kingdom of God. As we sit with those last few lines of Zechariah's prophecy, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You can't help but think of the words of Psalm 23. I want to read that over us and just soak it in because I think it kind of fleshes out the, the, the vision of peace that God offers his people. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, it's a classic, but it never gets old. What we see at Christmas, what we see in Zechariah's words, and the words of that psalm, is a God who desires to be near to his children. A God who wants you to know that he is faithful, trustworthy, and present. A God who wants you to know that he loves you, wants to provide you his peace in the midst of a world marred by sin and suffering. God offers his peace in small day-to-day ways and in big Jesus going to the cross to die and be resurrected ways. And Zechariah points us to the reality that, that Jesus is our good shepherd, the shepherd that Psalm 23 points to. A couple decades before Jesus would declare it himself, Zechariah says it in his prophecy. In the Gospel of John, Jesus, once he's grown, he, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. God sees you, and he knows you. He's for you, and he wants to come near to you. 
He wants to come near to where you are. And the question is, do you know where you are? Another year has flown by. We come to the last few weeks of 2023, and it feels like a good time to reflect. Where are you? Psalm 23 paints this image of movement through the valley. In the darkness, we follow close after the good shepherd, and he leads us through. I think the the juxtaposition of what Zechariah says in Luke 1 is really interesting. How he phrases it really caught my attention. In verse 79, it says, To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. They're not moving, they're sitting. And I just imagine that some tried to make it through the valley on their own and couldn't do it. They gave up. They sat down exhausted and defeated. Others started off well, maybe got distracted, got overwhelmed, lost hope, lost trust, could no longer find their way in the darkness and didn't know where to go next. Whatever the case, wherever you are right now or however you got there, God is near. And all we do is call out to him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, no darkness is too dark for his light to overcome. So my prayer is that you might feel the nearness of his presence this Advent season. And may, us, may we follow closely as he leads us step by step down the path of peace. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your kindness, for your nearness, your presence, the love you have for us, Lord. You are the good shepherd. And uh, and there's so many reasons to lose hope. But you are the reason to hold on to it, God. And so um, I just pray, God, as we continue through this season, uh, the, the chaos and the crazy of Christmas, God, would you be close? Would you remind us of your peace? Would you break into um, our world? Show us, God, that there is a better way and that you're it. God, we love you and we pray in your name. Amen. One of the things we've been doing um, in the Advent season is giving space for extended time of reflection and spiritual practice. So um, I'm going to lead us through a, um, a spiritual practice called Visio Divina. Um, and Visio Divina means uh, sacred seeing, which is a fancy way of saying praying with art. And so you'll see uh, there's... Uh, a piece of art on the screen. It's called Psalm 23 by um, John August Swanson is the name of the artist. Uh, If you actually want to pull out your phones and Google that and pull it up on your phone, it might be a little bit easier for you to meditate on the the artwork on your phone. Uh, I think hopefully we can, maybe we need to dim the lights, but um, God has gifted us uh, with imaginations and creativity. Uh, an appreciation of beauty and art. Um, And so this is just a practice that taps into that, that invites the Holy Spirit to come and join us as we observe, to stir things within our hearts, within our souls. Um, And then it prompts us to then take them to to God. 
um, as part of the practice. And so, yeah, what we're going to do, like I said, if you want to pull it up on your phone right now, you can. Um, we'll have it on the screen. And um, I'm just going to lead us through um, a few minutes of this practice together. And I don't know, Jocelyn, can you play like some nice music or something? Kind of like get the vibes going? Cool. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so every good spiritual practice starts with some deep breaths. And so go ahead and close your eyes and take some breaths. May clear your mind, clear your heart, make space um, to just engage with God in the next few minutes. And you might feel silly or skeptical. That's okay. It won't hurt you to, to kind of just join in for a few minutes. Um, take a breath. Go ahead and open your eyes and fix your attention on the peace. There's a lot going on. Is it possible to turn off the lights, y'all? That'd be kind of cool with the Christmas lights. Look good. Sorry, we didn't rehearse this or anything. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Um, Begin by focusing your attention on the part of the piece that first catches your eye. Let your gaze linger there as you ask God how he may be speaking to you through it. What wonderings does the image spark? What curiosities? What are you noticing? What emotions are being evoked? Maybe a memory. Is there a word or a phrase that describes what is stirring within you? Is there something that God is inviting you into through this? Focus your attention on that piece for a few minutes, and then we'll continue. Now widen and soften your gaze, gradually taking in the whole of the artwork, lingering with whatever else catches your eye. Again, what, what, what's, uh, what curiosities, what wonderings, what feelings does the image spark? Is there a word or a phrase that comes to mind, a memory, a thought? Is there an invitation that you sense from God? Widen and soften your gaze and do that for a few more minutes.
And uh, now we move from meditating on the artwork to responding to God in prayer. What do you wish to communicate to God in this time? Take a few minutes and speak with him. Take a few final breaths as you savor the stillness and rest in the safe embrace of the God who walks alongside you in the valley. Amen.